Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Today is part 5 in our series, The Bible Says. So far, we've looked at what the Bible says sin is, deception is, freedom is, holiness is, and today we're going to add one more, what the Bible says repentance is. Next Sunday, we'll wrap up the series with what the Bible says you are. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is our main scripture text. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful time together in your presence. Thank you for providing a way through our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come before your throne room of grace and worship you. And Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who you have sent to us as our teacher. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would open our hearts and minds to your eternal truths, that they would set us free, that you would be glorified in, your, in the preaching of your word, that the body of Christ would be built up, strengthened, edified, and lost people drawn to your saving grace, your redeeming love. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. The Bible is written in two languages. The Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language, and the New Testament is written in the Greek language. Each language has a specific word for our English word, repentance. Only when we put the two together do we get the full meaning of the word. The Hebrew word means to turn around, to turn around. You've been living the wrong way, going in the wrong direction with your back turned from God. You turn 180 degrees and say to God, here I am, God, tell me what to do, and I will do it. I will obey. The Greek word means to change, to change your mind, to change the way you think. Repentance is changing your mind about the way you have been living. I've been living to please myself, to do my own thing. From now on, I'm going to live to please Jesus. It's a decision. It is a changing of my will, not an emotion. It's a decision to turn away from idolatry to self-worship to the true and living God. From worshiping self to worshiping God. Repentance is not an emotion. I've seen over the years preachers who seek to work people up into an emotional attitude or frenzy and state then invite them to faith in Jesus Christ. Very often that leads to a letdown because the emotions run out. And then the person who responded is left with nothing. Repentance, as defined in the Bible, is not an emotion. It is a decision. It is a changing of our will. It is a turning away from idolatry, self-worship, to the, to the true and living God. From worshiping self to worshiping 
God. Too many conversions are not permanent because the will of the person hasn't changed. There's an emotional experience where they get all excited. Felt wonderful for a few days. Maybe several weeks. Even months. But it doesn't last because their will hasn't changed. There's no turning away. The definition for repentance for lots of people is stop sinning. You hear the word repentance and automatically you, you, your mind goes to a place where it's a call to stop sinning. But the biblical definition is to turn to change. Repentance is the first brick to be laid in your life of faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that first brick in place, your building, your spiritual building, will always be wobbly. Lots of professed Christians struggle because they never have made the decision to surrender their will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus said, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Understanding the biblical definition of repentance is essential to us living the victorious Christian life. How many here want to live the victorious Christian life? Understanding the biblical definition of repentance is essential. In the Bible, repentance, when we combine both the Hebrew and Greek words, these two words provide us with a clear picture of the biblical definition. But the definition goes even further. We find in Scripture that it also means to feel sorry for something. So in this sense, our emotions are involved. They're not emotions that are being worked up, stirred up by by men. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a a deep work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. The biblical definition of repentance is twofold. Number one, to turn to change. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, to turn to change. Number two, to feel sorry for something. Let's look at several scriptures where we clearly see this twofold definition of repentance and how it's used in the context of the passage. And this is so critically important. Context determines which definition is being used. Let's start in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 is the first mention in the Bible where the word is used. And it's God who's repenting. Does that get your attention this morning? And the Lord was sorry. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. King James Version says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and grieved him at his heart. Both words are found in the Hebrew meaning. And the Lord was sorry, and it repented the Lord that he had made man 
on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God repented, not because he sinned, because he didn't. He can't sin. He is holy. Can I hear a big amen? God repented. He was, he was sorry. He felt sorrow because of how wicked man was. The biblical definition of repentance is twofold. Number one, to turn, num- to change, and number two, to feel sorry for something. To feel sorry for something is the definition being used in Genesis 6 6. There's a sorrow, a godly sorrow. Exodus 32, verse 14 says, So the Lord relented, reading from the New King James Version, So the Lord relented from from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. The King James Version says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The definition used is to change, in this case, his mind. Judges chapter 2, verse 18 says, For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Again, I'm reading from the New King James. The King James Version says, For it repented the Lord because their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. The definition used is to feel sorry. Amos chapter 7, verse 3. So the Lord relented, again, reading from the New King James. So the Lord relented concerning this, it shall not be, said the Lord. The King James Version says, the Lord repented for this, it shall not be, saith the Lord. The definition used is to change, in this case, his mind. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, no man repented of his wickedness. The definition used is to turn away um, from their sin and turn to God. Context determines which definition. Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. Let's look at a couple of examples here in, in the New Testament, starting with Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The definition used here is to feel sorry and to turn and to change. Revelation chapter 9 verse 20 says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. The definition used here is to feel sorry, to turn, to change. They didn't feel sorry. They didn't turn away from idols to worship the true and living God. They didn't change. Revelation chapter 16, verses 9. Well, I'll just read verse 9 here. It says, And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. They didn't feel sorry. There was no sorrow for their sin. They didn't turn away from idols to worship the true and living God. They didn't change. Context determines which definition is being used, which definition is being applied. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, is a prophetic scripture reference to Jesus Christ. 
I'm reading from the New King James. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. The King James Version says, and also the strength, the strength of Israel is Jesus Christ. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Jesus will never need to repent because he never will sin. Can I hear a big amen? That's why we can celebrate around the communion table. We have a perfect sacrifice that was given that our sins might be atoned for, permanently forgiven. To God be all the praise. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Can I hear someone say, Thank you, Jesus. Now in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6, man is called to repent. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Man is called to repent, to turn away from idols, to worship the true and living God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, it says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his way, says the Lord God, Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that your iniquity will not be your ruin. Here, once again, man is called to repent, to turn away from something so that iniquity will not be their ruins. Acts chapter 8, verse 22 says, Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Once again, man is called to repent, to turn away from something. Let's take a moment and look at who preached repentance in the Bible. Before the cross, before Jesus died, John the Baptist preached repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The Jews were in a state of apostasy. Apostasy means a standing away from, a falling away, a withdrawal, a defection. It means to express abandonment of faith. And this is prophesied as the coming of Christ draws closer and closer and closer. We're going to find people in the church that's in an apostate way. This was the case here in the context of of Matthew chapter 3. The hypocrisy of the religious leaders caused Jews, influenced Jews to abandon temple worship and not live for God. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and preaches, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away from your apostasy to worship and serve the true and living God. So before the cross, John the Baptist preaches repentance. Before the cross, Jesus preached repentance. 
In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, we read, now after John was put in prison, John the Baptist, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from being apostate. Change your thinking about the gospel and believe. Before the cross, Jesus' disciples preached repentance. Jesus' disciples preached repentance. We see it in the Gospels in, in, in Mark 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 12. It reads, so they went out and preached that people should repent. Turn away from being apostate. Change your thinking about Jesus. Your Savior is right before you. The Messiah has come. He doesn't fit in your way of thinking of what your Savior would look like, your warrior Messiah would look like. Change your thinking. He's right before your eyes. The Jews had this image, this, this thought, this, this way of thinking that their, their, their Messiah was going to be this warrior riding on a horse. Tens and thousands. Following him. And he would conquer their oppressors. Jesus didn't fit their, their thought process. They're thinking. And so the disciples, they preach, repent, change your thinking about Jesus. After the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the church was birthed, Peter preached repentance to the Jews. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn away from trusting in the law to save you to trusting Jesus to save you. Change your thinking about Jesus. You back up a couple verses to verse 36 and Peter's preaching, therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, the one who didn't fit your thinking. Verse 27 says, now when they heard this, they were cut. They were cut to the heart. The reality, the truth that they crucified their Messiah, this reality cut, cut to the heart, deep, the deepest part of someone's being. Their hearts were gripped with sorrow. And verse 37 says to Peter and the rest of the apostles, uh, men, they, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Peter responds in verse 38, repent. 
Repent and be baptized. Identify yourself with the one you crucified. Identify yourself with your Savior, your Messiah, who died, was buried, and on the third day rose again. Change your thinking about Jesus and believe he is the Messiah. Surrender to his lordship. Turn from your self-righteousness to Christ's righteousness. Turn from trusting your work to trusting Christ's finished work on the cross. Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 31 say, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God, in his amazing grace and his mercy, gives the Jews the gift of repentance. You hear that word and you cringe. It's a beautiful word. It's a gift. God in his grace and mercy gives the Jews the gift of repentance. In his goodness, he gives you and me the gift of repentance to turn, to change. To become a Christ follower. One who worships the true and living God. God in his, in his grace, God in his mercy, God in his goodness. He, he gives us this amazing gift called repentance. After the birth of the church... Peter preached repentance to the Jews, and the apostle Paul preached repentance to the Gentiles. Paul preached repentance to the Gentiles here in Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. But Peter said to him, your money perishes with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Excuse me, I want to say Peter preached repentance. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Turn away from your wickedness. Turn away from your idols to worship and serve the God of Israel. He is your God too. He is your God too. He is the Jews' God. He is the Gentiles' God. Paul tells the Gentiles to repent, to turn from their idols, to turn from trusting and worshiping their idols to trusting and worshiping God. Turn from your false gods to the true living God. Acts chapter 14, verse 15. Acts 14, chapter 14, verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn, that you should repent from these youthless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. 
In Acts chapter 26, verses 15 through 18, Paul recounts his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom now I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who were sanctified by faith in me, in Jesus Christ. Powerful. Biblical repentance is to turn from idols to the living God, to turn from darkness to light, to turn from unbelief to belief, to turn from the power of Satan to the power of God, to turn from being lost to to being saved, to turn from self-righteousness to Christ's righteousness. Can someone say repent? Amen. There is a change of thinking that produces a change in how we live our life. The life we once lived for ourselves, we now live for the Lord, surrendered to his word and surrendered to his will. The change is obvious to those who know you. True biblical repentance, the change that occurs is obvious to those who know you. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repentance is an inward matter which has its seat in the heart and soul, the deepest place of our being, but afterwards yields its fruit in a change of life. If our lives, hear this this morning, if our lives are unchanged, we did not truly repent. Repentance involves more than sorrow. Repentance is more than remorse. Repentance is more than confessing sin. Repentance is to turn, to change from living for yourself, living for idols, to living for God. From darkness to light. From rejecting God to surrendering to God. From living the self-directed life to living the spirit-filled, directed life. And there's not a more exhilarating way to live than to have a life spirit-directed. Repentance speaks of a change of direction, not a sorrow in the heart. Bear fruit worthy of repentance tells us that true repentance is not a barren thing. It's not a barren thing. The fruit basket of true repentance is not empty. True repentance produces the fruits of holiness. We talked about holiness last week. A life that is set apart for God's use 
in God's glory. Holiness is the, the nature, fruit of true repentance. True repentance shows, it, shows itself in life. It's a matter of living repentance and not just talking repentance. Repentance is one of the spiritual disciplines in a believer's life, in a Christ follower's life. Just like daily devotions, reading in, in the, the scriptures and, and, and praying. Repentance is one of the spiritual disciplines, but often not thought of. We don't look at repentance as a spiritual discipline, but it really is a spiritual discipline of a believer's life, of a Christ follower's life. Well, unless you're sinless. The Apostle Paul, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. A beautiful example of this is David. Please turn to, to Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is a prayer of repentance. David, after being confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, he prays this prayer of repentance. David had committed sexual immorality. He slept with another man's wife, then arranged for the woman's husband to be left alone on the battlefield. Many of you know the story, to be killed, so he contributed to murder. He's complicit in, in murder. And then David lied all about the whole thing. I think we can all identify with David. You can read the whole account in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Reading David's prayer of repentance teaches us that repentance is, number one, confession. Look at verses 1 through 5. David prays, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and, and in sin my, my mother conceived me. Confession and repentance are so absent from the church today. The younger generation has no clue what repentance is because they never see it. I think part of the reason why there is a lack of revival in families is because the home is void of awesome worship times. There is no visible practice of confession and repentance before the Lord and each other. No modeling of humility before the Lord. For the younger generation, the word repentance, it's foreign. The contemporary church, the word repentance, the word confession, those are foreign words. They're not used anymore. 
somehow we believe the lie of the evil one, the deceiver, that when we preach the full counsel of God's word, and we use words like confession, confess your sin, repent, turn, that they're going to be repelled away from God. I truly believe when we preach the full counsel of God's word in all its purity, the Holy Spirit of God is released to reach the deepest places of lost humanity that you and I could never, never, never reach, no matter how articulate we are. No matter how slick, how strategic we are. David's helpless. He's helpless. Do you feel helpless? Are you in a situation... Is there sin in your camp? Do you feel helpless? David is helpless and he turns to his only hope. David cries out in verses 1, 2, and 3. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. David takes his sin very, very, very serious. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really, really troubled, deeply concerned that we're so casual about our sin today. This surely wasn't what we see here in Psalms 51. David took his sin very, very serious. He uses a number of words. He uses the word transgressions. He is confessing his rebellion and rejecting of God's authority. That's what that word transgression means. Rebellion. The rejecting of God's authority. He uses the word iniquity. He is confessing his perversion and inappropriate behavior. That's what the word iniquity means. He uses the word sin. He is confessing that he missed the mark and hit something else. He had another lover. His name is David, and he is confessing that he loved himself more than God. He, He later on uses the word evil. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David took his sin serious because he understood he sinned against the Lord. Against the Lord. Oh, he's the big guy upstairs. Subtleties of Satan. Oh, he's my buddy. The subtleties of Satan. The revered. Reverend place that belongs to God and God alone. Not me. I'm not Reverend Pat Medeiros. I'm Pat Medeiros. Not Reverend Pat Medeiros. There's only one who is Reverend. Reverend. 
the subtleties of Satan. We'll never take our sin serious until we understand that every sin we commit is against the Lord. Biblical repentance starts with confession. David's prayer of repentance teaches us that repentance is contrition. Follow along as I read verses 6 through 17. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out of my, all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Biblically, the word contrite means sorrowful, broken in spirit because of a sense of sin. Deep, deeply sorrowful and broken down with grief because sin is displeasing to God. Contrition is humbly and thoroughly repenting. Turning away. To turn, to change. To be sorrowful. Biblical repentance doesn't just desire forgiveness. It desires God. Biblical repentance leads you to wanting more than forgiveness. David wants renewal, closeness to God. He prays, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Biblical repentance leads you to God, not away from God. David prays, restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Please, church, hear this this morning. Our problem is not that we need a more joyful marriage, a more joyful job, a more joyful neighborhood, friends, or weekends. Our problem is that we have lost the joy of our salvation. When that joy fades, we start to Look to other things and and people. Every sin reflects the absence of the only joy that can truly satisfy us. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Biblical repentance involves the Holy Spirit. David prays, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Thirdly, David's prayer of repentance teaches us that repentance is change. Change. A repentant heart will ask 
for the heart of God. David cried out, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, verses 14 and 15. O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Biblical repentance is not just crying, it's changing. There is an obvious change. The end of theology, the study of God, the end of theology is not knowledge, information, but transformation. Real change. Real change. Can we praise him, church? Real change. The Apostle Paul, he writes in his second letter, to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You turn from self-worship to worshiping the true and living God in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Throughout the Bible, God calls his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, to repent. Repentance is not just a conversion exercise. It's the posture of a Christ follower, of a Christian. The call to repentance is important. And it is accurate to say that repentance is the first word of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Repent was the first word of John the Baptist's gospel in Matthew chapter 3. Repent was the first word of Jesus' gospel in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. Repent was the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 6. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection in in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. Repent was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Repent was the first word in the mouth of the apostle Paul in his ministry in Acts chapter 26. You see, biblical repentance isn't an exercise for only the unsaved sinners. It's also a spiritual discipline for saved sinners like Pat Medeiros. It's also a spiritual discipline for all of us from the front to the very back. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, this was a growing church. I mean, this was the church. I mean, in Ephesus, wow. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, in the last book of the Bible, we see in Genesis chapter 6, the word is used, repent, repented. Here we are in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do, not, 
and, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. When you've been doing this Christian walk for a while, it's easy to drift. It's easy to leave your first love and have other lovers and be blind to the reality that you've left your first love. Blind to the reality that you have other lovers. I have this against you that you have left your first love. Repent. Repent. Have you left your first love as I close? Have you left your first love? When was the last time you repented? I didn't ask you when was the last time you confessed your sin. It's not the same. When was the last time you repented? Godly sorrow gripped you in the deepest part of your being. You turned away from whatever the lover is. to self-love. You turned away and you turned to God. To the living God. To worship Him and Him alone. When was the last time you repented? Church, we're not getting from A to B because we ignore A. Repent is the first word in the gospel. Pat Medeiros doesn't only need the gospel in my moment of conversion. I need the gospel as much today as I did as a little boy on a Wednesday night that responded to the invitation of salvation given by the president of Faith Bible College in Bangor, Maine. Sitting between my mother and my grandmother. And the Holy Spirit drew me as a little boy Rescued by the gospel. Saved by the power, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I need the gospel just as much.
as I did when I was 10 years old. And now I am, how old? 56 or seven. I forget. I hope that's not a sign of old age. 60 is the new 30. Amen. What change took place after the last time you repented? What change took place after the last time you repented? It's obvious to God. It's obvious to you. And it's obvious to ever you well and those who don't know you well. Would you join me standing?